Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. How's it going, everybody? This is the Famous Dead People podcast, the only podcast that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Berenstein. You're about to hear the episode where I interview 20th century American physicist Richard Feynman and 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant. It was a fantastic episode. Don't forget that you can always check out the freshest episodes every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Email us at famousdeadpeople at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Uh, buy my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. Rate and review the podcast. Tell your friends. Leave a comment. All that stuff helps us out a ton. And, of course, you can check out all my stuff at jarrettberenstein.com. That's where you get the latest updates on live shows and upcoming projects. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Emmanuel Kant and Richard Feynman on Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. It's time. Famous Dead People. Time to start the show. Famous Dead People. People you know. Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. Famous stories stuck in the head. It's gonna be awful for me, even though all these people are dead. My guests today on Famous Dead People are 20th century American theoretical physicist known for his work in quantum mechanics, Richard Feynman. Hello. And 18th century German philosopher who argued that reason is the source of morality, Immanuel Kant. It's true. Hello. Uh, Mr. Kant, Dr. Feynman, thank you so much for joining us here on Famous Dead People. Thank you for having us. It's a real pleasure. Uh, So I'd like to start off with you, uh, Dr. Feynman, if I might. So you were incredibly influential as a physicist. You had a natural proclivity towards the maths and the sciences, even as a child. Mm. Uh, It was said that you had a talent for engineering, um, and I read on the Wikipedia that while you were in grade school, you created a home burglar system uh, that you installed once while your parents were out running errands. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we lived in uh, Queens, New York. Yes. Uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a, don't need to tell you, a bit of a rough neighborhood. Uh, it's really nice now. It's been gentrified. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful now. Uh, I don't know if you... And these food fairs they got everywhere. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful food. Yes, more uh, back then. Back a lot then, of, a lot of food trucks. Oh, you know? yeah, food, I love a oh, food truck. Beautiful, ne- never better. But <laughs> but back then it was not so nice. So I thought, you know, my parents, that my poor parents, they were always worried about you know people coming in, robbing us, taking all our stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I said, well, you know, I'm a I'm a bright kid. Why don't I? Just build. I was curious about could I build a burglar <laughs> alarm, and uh, you know what I did, and the rest is history. Well, tell us a little bit about that burglar alarm because I, uh, w- I want to know what the mechanism is. This is the this is like the uh, the 1920s, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, so yes. you know, obviously, you don't have access to the kind of technology that the children have today. No, no, you know, we uh, were poor. Yeah, you didn't have you could you didn't have like an Arduino or anything for like. No, we didn't up- have a Raspberry Pi, <laughs> or anything like that. All we uh, had, uh, all we had was uh, we had some old radios that I had, I had picked out of the garbage because back then people a radio was magic. They would, uh, <laughs> they didn't know how it worked. If it uh, if it fell apart, you just toss it, and then I would take them and put mm-hmm. them together, and I made a nice little bomb that if uh, <laughs> if a burglar came in, you made a bomb out of the radios. Oh yeah, out of several radios, and I uh, stole some blasting caps out of the Queen's Armory, mm-hmm. and uh, all we did was uh, we just uh, I put them together. And then if a burglar ever came in, he'd just get blown to smithereens, and uh, all of his atoms would go flying, <laughs> which was so inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, being so interested in atoms, the building block I of I love atoms. Of it's nature. very precocious. Very oh, precocious. Uh, I mean, you're one to talk, uh, Emmanuel Kant, but we will get to that in just a moment. Um, so where, uh, how, what right. would trigger the the, um, the the burglar alarm, I'm wondering? would it be Was it like a trip wire, or was it somehow... Uh, like motion detecting or something like that. It was motion detecting. Wow, that's incredible that you developed that technology yeah, at you, that time in American history. Use the capacitive capacity of a human body. If they <laughs> came in, they would conduct an electrical field mm-hmm. that was generated by the device, and then uh, they would just be blown up. And uh, you know, I tell you, we ki- killed several people that you way. Killed several people. Several people tried to break yeah, in. Yeah, and- several people. I mean, they knew that. The house had gadgets. <laughs> so I tell you, it. they were all magic, and they said we got to get our hands on one of these bombs. You really wanted to get some. They wanted some of those gadgets. They needed uh, the gadgets to, to potentially uh, to potentially steal from you guys. Um, and so y- your parents come back. They see this whole thing is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were they aware? Like, you know, we're leaving the house. We're going to turn on 
uh, Richard's home defense system. They didn't know yeah. anything about it. <laughs> they they never did ever find a body. Uh, I was pretty good about cleaning up the bodies. Okay. Uh, they found after the third or fourth, they said, "What's the smell?" And I said, "Well, a smell is nothing more than molecules coming off of a decaying piece of organic matter, which enter the atmosphere and then are uh, funneled into." the wind, and then they find their way into your nostrils uh, this, with their custom receptors. This description is not like assuaging any suspicion that it's coming from a dead body. It's basically just... No, no, they figured it out. <laughs> okay. I tried to explain. I thought, you know, maybe if I start talking about smells and the physics of uh, currents <laughs> that uh, they would stop asking questions, but no, they figured out that uh, I was killing people, mm-hmm. and they were upset. Gotcha. So is that is that when the, the burglar system came down and you and you took it apart? Well, they tried, but I said, you know, who's got a bomb in this house and who doesn't? <laughs> See, so I was a curious child. <laughs> See that? Very curious. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it, it seems as though the uh, the power dynamic changed pretty quickly in that house. Always very fascinated by power. You know, whether it's uh, potential energy, mm-hmm. uh, it can be stored in a rock uh, for millions and millions of years. Or the uh, the soft power of international diplomatic relations. Absolutely. It's all, you. when you learn about these things, you learn that there's a, there's a continuity. You learn about you learn about international relations, and then mm-hmm. you find yourself learning more about physics, and then you know how to control your parents because you got a bomb. <laughs> I see. Uh, let's go over to uh, Immanuel Kant. Yes, uh, So you are most well-known for your work in philosophy and ethics. Your contributions mm-hmm. to modern philosophy are vast. But I'd like to start off with just one of your many philosophical definitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you worked a lot with um, how we perceive the world, um, and how our realities uh, conform or define themselves. Yes. And you distinguish between what you called the phenomenal world and the nominal world. Yes. I also feel the world is phenomenal. <laughs> you, exactly. You That's feel adorable, the phenomenal Richard. and not the nominal. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. Well, without getting too bogged down in the dense philosophical theory, how would you describe the difference between the phenomenal world and the nominal world? The phenomenal world is the it's the one you know, mm. right? Okay. You know, you see your bed, you're tired, you want to sleep in it. This is the bed that you know. Okay. You don't know a happy bed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know a happy bed? You don't know a happy bed, you just know a tired bed. Okay. You're tired when you go into your bed. You see your desk, you don't know a relaxed, lazy desk. Mm-hmm. You don't know a desk that takes vacations. You know, Dustin likes to work. This is the phenomenal world. Well, what if, um, what if somebody is is capable of those multitudes of having a bed for when they're happy that they also sleep on, or a desk they take on vacation with them? Well, uh, this this is special, and it is still their world. But you don't know the real desk. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, this so is the nominal world. You don't know the desk. You just know how you know the desk. Okay, and so how does the word uh, phenomenal? sort of like match up with just like the world that we know that we experience well it's a it's a phenom it's a portmanteau of two worlds okay i gotcha fascinating <laughs> that's wonderful so how would you uh if, if we were going to like bridge the divide between the philosophical and the scientific could you say that like you know, the phenomenal world are the things that we that we touch and that we see in the nominal world would be like, you know, um, uh, dark matter or, uh, you know, things that we theorize could exist, but we actually don't have any evidence of. No, this is stupid. <laughs> that's, okay, I don't that's agree with that. You're, you're being very stupid. What do you mean? I'm like, listen, I, I, I'm obviously not as uh, proficient in the uh, in the science and the philosophy as the two of you, but that's, no, that's obviously but almost, true. almost no human is. I don't think it's fair to judge me on that standard. Relatively speaking my phenomenal world says that you're stupid <laughs> okay and i gotta say that experimental evidence would also indicate that you're pretty stupid but there's like a nominal world where i'm smarter than the both of you combined we don't know such a world but it's that's the point is that this is a nominal, nominal world no evidence of a world like that i can see <laughs> this is possible we don't have access to such a world we only have access to the phenomenal world in which you're a little stupid man <laughs> Okay. We can only base our uh, beliefs on observations that we've made of the physical world around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, every observation and all the we've made... that you have 
suggests that I'm an idiot. I understand. Overwhelming evidence. I dis- I disagree. I think I have my I think I have my strong points. I think I have things that I'm knowledgeable about. We're not trying to be cruel, you understand. It's about <laughs> holding yourself to a higher standard. I see. I have you, a you don't understand something, you just you study and you study until you learn it. You don't mm-hmm. just uh, get yourself on a podcast and start sprouting nonsense. Well, I was saying, like, I did a little bit of research, but I thought, what better to learn about these things than to have the actual experts here to to discuss them? I didn't realize we could be badgered for that. Not badgered. Not just, badgered. Just <laughs> assessing reality as I it see. is. Just cold assessment. I have a chart in my mind with data points. Okay. Oh, a chart in your mind. Now that... Yeah. It's amazing. It I sounds think nominal. Of... That sounds nominal because we couldn't see it. We no, can't. Sounds see, this phenomenal is, to me. It is phenomenal. It's in my mind. It's phenomenal because you experience it. Because you, it is you're in the mind. I see. Okay. I think of it as models in my mind. You know. Mm-hmm. You get... I just. I, I imagine it's. It's so much fun to think about. I think about. You know. What if there's a. What if there's a universe mm-hmm. where uh, water. You know, water is just maybe particles of hydrogen, oxygen, and they're bonded together. And then, and then you think about what if there's a a, a quasar producing jets of water, and then it comes. It's true. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that you have the imagination for that, but not the the possibility that in another realm or by different definitions, I'm an intelligent, smart there's person. There's the evidence. There's no evidence. There's no evidence for what you're talking about. Hubble either, ain't never seen me. that. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Maybe we should move on. Uh, so back to Dr. Feynman. You were an extremely talented student in math and sciences when you were a kid, mm-hmm. uh, but you got rejected from Columbia, uh, according to the Wikipedia. You're too be- many Jews. Because of their quota for the number of Jews admitted. Yeah. I, I want to know, was this their official rejection of you, or was this something you learned years later? Like, how did you oh, get this no. information? It was in a letter. It was. In, they wrote. They wrote a letter. They said, have- so long, Jew. <laughs> so long, Jew. We're all full up with Jews right now. All full up with Jews. You have to understand, Columbia at the time was just mostly Jews. Oh, and, I see. Uh, and they say, you know, we can't, we can't have one more. And I said, look, I'm, I'm the best Jew of my time. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even want to hear it. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, Jarrett. Uh, <laughs> they really missed out. No, I, I completely agree. I thought that it was like. They had room for like five Jews, and mm. but you, what you're saying is that it was like mostly Jews. It was a Jew had... fest over it. Too Jewish for me. I was atheist from a young age because you know, like your intelligence, there's just no evidence uh, for right. a God really to be found. I, it's, it, I think that there are other ways that you could have made that analogy that would have been a lot less just, mean. I try to put. To I love. Me. I love. Explaining very clear, things. very clear analogy. I try explaining things, and I just want to get a reference that everybody can understand based on what I know they mm-hmm. know. Because other people don't—they don't have the models in their minds of what I can imagine. They don't understand what it's like to 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 be around that many Jews, but they do understand that I'm not an intelligent person. The world is full of fools, (laughs) but Jews are geographically concentrated Mm -hmm. in Colombia. That's true. true. Now, I also read that being Jewish uh, almost kept you out of graduate school at Princeton. Mm. Uh, The head of the physics department asked, quote, about you. He said, quote, is Feynman Jewish? We have no different rule against Jews, but we have to keep the proportion in our department reasonably small. Because of the difficulty of placing them. Do you remember this incident? Oh, Do you remember yes. this letter being oh, written about yes. you? I remember this letter. I heard mm-hmm. about it years later after I was a famous physicist mm-hmm. uh, getting lauded all over the world. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, you know, I thought, well, when I go to Princeton, you know, you know immediately there's a bunch of Jew haters. Uh, <laughs> it's not fair. It's the Wait, same thing today. A lot of, lot of Jews at Columbia. Princeton, though, mm-hmm. Jew haters. I can like, tell you already, Princeton's not as smart because. He hears the name Feynman and has to ask if it is a Jew. Yeah, yeah. He's Feynman from Queens. You think he might be a Jew? You think that's a man? Listen, uh, I'm no detective, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm beginning to mm-hmm. suspect that this might be a Jewish fellow that we're, uh, that we're considering entering into Even our you establishment. Even you Anybody. Now, I, I'm not the low bar for intelligence. I, I feel like... I feel like you guys are being very unfair about this. Um, if you're just joining us, this is uh, Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are uh, 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant yeah, and 20th century American physicist Richard Feynman. How you doing? Uh, so yeah, I just can't believe that uh, this was such an issue. Would you say that, the, that at Princeton, 
uh, the issue was that they, they they wanted to have like five Jews and you would have been like Jew number six. I think the issue with Princeton is they wanted to have zero Jews. <laughs> and they just said to us, how long can we keep this going? And, you know, you're talking about a very uh, uh, different time in, in American history mm, yeah. uh, when people uh, were very happy to uh, to say Jews were bad. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was long before the Nazis even came to uh, create any sympathy. So uh, it was... Uh, it was it was different. Uh, I felt I faced a lot of persecution in my time. Yeah, but it didn't bother me because anytime I heard somebody didn't want me because I was Jewish, I would just think about uh, think about a wave in the ocean. <laughs> Imagine a wave. A wave is is nothing more than Doctor, particles of water. Doctor Feynman, your 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 whimsy about learning and science mm. it, it is it's it's a it's a joy. It's a delight. It's inspiring. Yeah. Didn't think so at Princeton. <laughs> I see. They said, "Get that uh, whimsical Jew out of here." Let's uh, let's move back over to uh, to uh, uh, Emmanuel Kant for Someone a moment. Someone cannot even hate a Jew; only the mind's perception of the Jew. Ooh, yeah, that's a very uh, that's a very uh, the uh, phenomenon mm-hmm. of the Jew. We don't have access to the nominal Jew. Mm, I see the uh, the in the inaccessible Jew. The, the Jew that's with beyond our comprehension. The Jew that mm. exists outside the mind. See, I, I'm, I'm picking things up. The nominal you know? Jew is what they also called the Jew at Princeton. The, the nom- one guy. <laughs> the nominal Jew. Said, well, uh, one. Uh, so and they wanted to eat him. Nom, 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 <laughs> nom. Yeah, they did eat him. <laughs> oh, nom, I knew noms. that guy. Nom, nom. Jerry. <laughs> so, so, Kant, you grew up in Koenigsberg uh, in what we now call Germany, and it is said that you lived a very strict and disciplined life, uh, neighbors say they could set their clocks based on when you would take your daily walks. Uh, is this true? Like, did you have, did you really have that rigid of a schedule that you kept? I needed to divide my day because otherwise any other form of rule is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I do not know that I get up at nine, what is nine? Mm, I'm, I'm not sure if I follow your logic there. What is the point of a time at all? If I have no correlation between my action and this time. Hmm. Okay. I really it's kinda of going over my head a little bit. Are you picking this up, Dr. Feynman? Absolutely. He's Surprise. being extremely clear. Okay. Time is nothing but uh, a way of representing a dimension of matter the same mm-hmm. way that height and width could be. I figured this out at seven years I old see. Yeah, and I began to time well, things. Well what were what were some of the other things that were on your regular schedule that you would do at the exact same time every day? So there are the walks that your neighbors mentioned. I went on walks. Mm-hmm. I would read a book before bed at 11.30 okay. every mm-hmm. single night. Mm-hmm. I would call my mother mm-hmm. from downstairs. I would scream at her, Mama, Mama, precisely at mm-hmm. 8 a.m. every single morning. Mm-hmm. This is how I knew that a mama existed. If she did not call back, then what is but a mama but the mama in my mind? Mm. I see mm-hmm. you needed that response in order to... to, to uh, Reaffirm to the reality of the reality. my Mother. Exactly. Gotcha. Uh, it's also been said that you you never traveled. Are you <laughs> sorry, Dr. Feynman? Are you're you right. all right? He's so beautiful. The thoughts that come out of his mind. <laughs> it's also been said Thank that you. Thank you, Mr. Feynman. Doctor, Thank you. Dr. Dr. Feynman. Yeah. Of course, a doctor for someone else does not have the mental capacity to be brought to tears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also been said. Uh, uh, that you that con- that you never traveled more than ten miles from your hometown in your whole life, uh, but there is some evidence to suggest that you maybe worked as a tutor in another country, even as far away as Poland, which was ninety miles away. Uh, can you tell us which one is true? Like, if you stayed close to home, or indeed if you did travel a little bit? It is both. It's both. It is a combination. When mm. I stayed at home, I never went. 10 miles further in space-time physically. Okay. Mentally, the realities of my mind reflected upon the nominal world to create infinite distances with which I travel. I see. So were you then literally in Poland at any point in your life, or was that... Was that part of the part of your sort of like? I was also <laughs> literally in Poland. <laughs> okay, so you actually did travel around. When I didn't travel, I traveled, and when I traveled, I did not. Mm. I gotta okay. interrupt right there to say mm-hmm. uh, the question is uh, profoundly ignorant because <laughs> uh, the Earth travels at such an amazing rate around the sun. The sun travels Thank around you. the core of the galaxy at such mm-hmm. an amazing pace that. Uh, Anybody who says they don't travel, you're traveling at many hundreds of thousands of miles you know, an Dr. hour Feynman, a second. I am aware of the uh, uh, of the idea of, of physical relativities 
and that even if you are standing in one place, you are on a planet that is spinning and that is rotating and that 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 sun is traveling in a larger galaxy. I am aware of that. It's like a monkey learns to play the piano. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just glad we could make you aware of that. No, I knew that beforehand. I knew that beforehand. Well, you you didn't say it before. I did very well in physics. All right. When I was in high school, they bumped me up to physics honors Mm -hmm. after a couple of weeks because I was doing so Fucking great at it. So go to hell, the both of you. This is an American high school. <laughs> how many how many Nobel prizes you got there, buddy? What's up? All right, that's not that's not a fair metric. All right, that's not a fair. How many how many uh, uh how many how many treatises on uh, modern philosophy have you written? Otherwise, I guess you're an idiot compared to Immanuel Kant. We have our own specialties. Is your specialty speaking into a microphone? My, I ha, you know what? Someone would some would argue that my my specialties might be uh might be comedy, might be performance. Like I, ha, oh. I have a, a a brilliance in my. And how in many my stage Nobel prizes in performance? They don't. Have you, you know, I was famously I was a famously <laughs> funny lecturer. <laughs> And also, I understood what the hell I was talking about. Physics-wise. Physics-wise. Yeah, yeah. So And getting the laughs. <laughs> I see. Well, maybe like what, what I would consider to be uh, my understanding, my, my exceptional understanding of physics, of high school physics, mm-hmm. uh, is exactly the same proportionally to what you would consider to be a good performer, whereas like I'm a professional performer, and like maybe... I I would be like leagues above you performance wise. How many hits on YouTube you got? You oh. want to check out some of my lectures on there? They're <laughs> they're they're burning it down. <sighs> Bill Gates is a big fan. Let's um let's move back on. Let's let's move on to a happier subject and talk about World War Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 1941, World War Two is raging in Europe. Japan attacks the U.S. at Pearl Harbor. You, mm-hmm. Dr. Feynman, are recruited to assist in the development of the atomic bomb in what we now know to be called the Manhattan Projects. That's true. I understand you had a number of jobs uh, mm-hmm. at the Manhattan Project. Like One of your projects was the uh, the safety protocols for enriching the uranium. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's very unsafe to enrich uranium, especially back in those days. Of course. I mean, you, you were figuring out how to do it, you mm-hmm. know, and you had to sort of like try to anticipate the problems as they were coming. Uh, so what were some of the, um, uh, the the propositions that you made to ensure that this uranium would be handled safely after and while it was being enriched? Well, the first thing I said was uh, put some gloves on, boys, because <laughs> they were just handling this stuff with their bare hands. Okay. And I was saying that's clearly an unstable element. It's uh, letting off alpha particles, gamma particles mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, what you would understand as... Uh, uh, you wouldn't understand, so uh, I'll, they were particles. And, little uh, thingies. Yeah, little there were some little thingies. <laughs> there were some little thingies, and uh, they were they were flying off, and you know people were just getting the, uh, cancer all over in their hands. They were mm-hmm. getting burned by the radiation, and I said, this ain't no good. You put some gloves on. <laughs> you line them gloves with lead, uh, and then uh, you'll be totally safe. And, uh, you know, they weren't totally safe. Still a lot of people were lost, but it was all worth it just to be able to bomb them Japs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to. So when you were, so there's like a, a group of uh, of workers, of laborers who were sort of like hand, handling uh, the manual tasks that you scientists were figuring out. Yeah. Okay. And so these laborers were were getting cancer in their hands from handling the uranium without gloves, and you came in and you said, "No, you gotta because uh, because of all the little particles mm-hmm. there." Uh, did you have to dumb it down for them as well to say little thingies as you just said to me just now? Well, uh, luckily we had the privilege of not having to explain. Of course, I love explaining things to anybody, you know, no matter how uh, uneducated they may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find this a little trying, but uh, at the time, <laughs> it was uh, it was it was a real pleasure. But uh, we didn't really have to because they work for us, and uh, Oppenheimer would just say, uh, uh, "Hey, boy, you call my boy." It wasn't it wasn't racial, mm-hmm. uh, you know? They were they were all kinds of races, and uh, he would just say, hey "Boy, you you put some gloves on there," and they would have to do it because he was the boss, and gotcha. everybody loved that boy. Uh, any other safety things you want to tell us about, or maybe other contributions you made to the Manhattan Projects besides safety? Maybe things that you didn't get credit for because, you know, uh, everything just sort of like got lost in the shuffle, all the different scientists saying, you know, X, Y, or Z. Yeah, well, there's not very great records, so I've uh, basically always just said I came up with all of it. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to stick by that because uh, who else is going to take credit? They were all were ashamed of what we'd done. They thought, you know, we created unleashed a great evil on the world. But yeah, to yeah. me, a bomb is just... Uh, Imagine that the 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 nucleus of an atom is is uh, is like a uh, two people and they're they're all jumbled up together. They're mm-hmm. just jumbled up in the jiggling the jiggling around, and then they'd say, you know, what if we got split up? 
And then they go splitting up. And then more of them are like, hey, why don't we <laughs> split up too? And then they split. And they split. And pretty soon, you got a huge explosion. And millions are dead. I feel like that's where the whimsy ends, right? The fact that it then causes millions of human, real human deaths, right? It depends on your perspective, yeah. Uh, imagine, the, imagine what happens when the... The particles hit the skin of a of a Japanese housewife, uh, <laughs> and they just they say to the they say to each other they say we're gonna get real hot, and they just start shaking, they start shaking, and they start quaking, and they uh, they split up, and then pretty soon the housewife got no skin. It's it's just fun to think about. Not, that that is not fun. That's horrible. Imagination is fun. <laughs> a housewife without the skin. It is that wait. Are you sorry? Are you getting to something there? Or? It's fun. It's fun to think <laughs> it's about. Real, I it's disagree. Fun. I couldn't disagree more. Excuse, you don't have an imagination. Let's. Uh, I do have an imagination. Let's, he let's, can't. It, I think this is a failure in communication. Let me try. Oh, yeah. Yes, it please, is please. a housewife. Am I picture it? Mm-hmm. A I'm housewife. Picturing a housewife. Mm-hmm. She's right. Japanese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's making rice bowls. <laughs> and now you. Look, <laughs> All right. You look at Come the skin. On. You look at the skin. Mm-hmm. It is not there. Only firm Japanese musculature. It really sa- it sounds horrible. It sounds like that scene in Terminator 2 when Sarah Connor is imagining getting destroyed by the nuclear bomb that the robot no, no, set no, off. No, 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 no. That's no. how you got to understand it. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Connor's right. not Japanese. No, she's no, not. But no. I also think that that is an, an inessential element to this uh, this uh, hypothetical. Let's. I, I'd like to move on if I could. Uh, so we have uh, time for one more question, I think, before we go on break. Uh, in uh, So back to you, Emmanuel Kant. In yeah. 1740, uh, you're only 16 years old when you enroll at the University of Coinsburg. Uh, that's two years younger than what we traditionally see children entering university here in America. Uh, was that normal for the time, or were you considered advanced enough to begin your college uh, at the age of 16? Even more advanced than it is today. Oh, wow. But at 16, I'd already been timing my masturbations at 7 p.m. for five years. Very precocious. I'm sorry. So you're saying evidence of your of your advanced intellectual capability is the fact that you had already started timing your masturbation. I had organized the world in a way which most fail to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Imagine the discipline of a teenager only <laughs> masturbating once a day. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say it was once a day. He said he would time out exactly how long it took him to masturbate. It was guaranteed at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. on daily. Oh, okay. And then I had a complex formula for when it would be twice or three times a day. Was this a quadratic formula? A quadratic formula, indeed. Oh, wow. You see, it's, I fun, it's fun to think about. You just I think about that right away. You just think about Kant. Dr. Feynman did not. I just want that to go on the record. I think there's a lot you didn't understand about what he was saying. Can you even imagine? Just think about this young man pleasuring himself, mm-hmm. and uh, and just think about think about what them the spoibs is doing <laughs> inside. They just they you know they they're getting all hot. Yes, it's all the contraction. It's all very interesting. Contraction of the scrotum is uh, mm-hmm. is producing heat, and heat ain't nothing so, more than are shaking. You, are you keeping up so far? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm now, on board. Now just I'm on board. Now it is whimsical indeed. To mm-hmm. think about. Now imagine this. Mm-hmm. Everything you just pictured. I am also Japanese and have no skin. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. The uh, whimsy. Jesus. Listen, so I whimsical. wanted to ask you. Uh, so were you entering the university, uh, Kant, at 16 with people that were like, 18 that were 20 uh like was it was it a weird uh cultural difference to be with people who were who were young who were older than you no i kept up because the reality was all relative in my mind i see, I see. so they were older but i was capable of hanging with the cool kids <laughs> i see you were i was ahead mm-hmm. i was ahead of my time you'd say you're one of those people you could you could exist in a, in a bunch of different cliques like you had that that fluidity that you could i could hang <laughs> i see i find that a little hard to believe but but uh, that is neither here nor there. Unfortunately, we've got to take a short break, uh, but we will be right back with uh, Richard Feynman and Emmanuel Kant on Famous Dead People. Stay with us. Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. 
Hey everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or whatever app you are using to listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars, leave a comment, tell your friends. All that stuff helps us out a ton. And feel free to hit us up at famousdeadpeople at radiofreebrooklyn.org if you want a specific famous dead person on the show or if you have any comments that you want to shoot over to us. Whatever we love hearing from fans. Uh, Also check out my book, The Kellyanne Conway Technique. It is out now. It is hilarious. I hope that you will check that out and read that and uh, leave reviews, awesome reviews on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or whatever and tell your friends to read it because it's super funny and I want that money. Also, go check out jaredbarrenson.com for all the latest on my show dates and uh, up-to-date project information. And lastly, if you really like Famous Dead People and you want to send us some money to help keep the show on the air, go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash Famous Dead People and click on the Support the Show button. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the podcast. Welcome back to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn. Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jarrett Berenstein, and we are here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guests in the studio today are the 18th century German philosopher who argued that reason is the source of morality, Immanuel Kant. Yes. And 20th century American theoretical physicist known for his work in quantum mechanics, Richard Feynman. Hello. Uh, so let's go um, back to Dr. Feynman. So after you work uh, on the bomb, uh, they attempt to draft you into the army. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, seems like kind of messed up. Like you contribute to the most significant part of the war effort. You give the U.S. this giant strategic advantage, and then they yeah. try to send you out to fight? Yeah. Didn't, not right. Didn't that rub you the wrong way at the time? Like, Absolutely. Like, yeah. I wanted to get back to my life, you know. I wanted to get back and uh, get on the dating scene. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. get back to my work thinking about the world and the yeah. universe. Well, you, and, were, uh, you were excited to go back to the dating scene. I know that your wife passed away while you were working on the Manhattan Project. That's why I was excited. Get back, <laughs> in, the, back in the saddle. That that wasn't a difficult transition for you to to go from. It was very difficult. I love my wife very much. She had mm-hmm. the, she had the TB. You know? Yeah, it's we called it consumption. Uh, back but, in the day, uh, it was very very sad. But you mm-hmm. know, uh, a man can't well understand this. A man has a has a, a penis, and uh, sometimes there's just uh, hormones in the blood. They just start they start rushing up. <laughs> seven o'clock every day. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Seven fifteen. And seven times as well. Yes. Always, always. I, I, I gotta tell you, I didn't have no formula. It's just what I, what I felt like I had to do it. I had mm-hmm. to do it. You know. Well, what I think I mean? you probably had different styles in your lives. Like Emmanuel Kant's life was very rigid and scheduled. Like maybe mm. you were a little bit more uh, loosey goosey about it. I was it, you very loosey goosey about it, but not about being an army. Because you know, what do you? I mean, I know you can go over there and you can find them island girls, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, I need some a little bit more regular than that, you know what I mean? I see. Um, so they examined you. They tried to they tried to send you to the uh, to mm-hmm. the army. Uh, you were examined. You were given a 4F exemption on mental grounds. Yeah, mentally unfit. They okay, said. so what were the mental grounds that made you unfit for service, and was this something that, like, you, you, you put on to get out of the service, or were you actually suffering for something that made you unfit to go serve? You know, it's an interesting question. I'm still not sure about it myself, but uh, at the time, I just thought maybe my brain was too powerful. <laughs> I always took real good care. You know, I would always, if I didn't understand something, I just, I wake at it and I wake at it until I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought maybe they just, they examined me and they're like, well, we don't know what's going on because there's too much going on in this guy's head. Uh, but in reality, it probably had to do with uh, building a bomb and killing biglers when I was a kid uh, <laughs> or, you know, anything else. Uh, my weird cavalier attitude toward my wife's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Uh, maybe the fact that I enjoy building a bomb that uh, killed a lot of innocent people. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter because in the end I didn't have to go to the war and, uh, you know, things went pretty well for me and for old Uncle Sam, you know what I mean, That's a really good point. So you think there's a possibility that they gave you the mental exam and they found you, like, too... Too, too smart to too fight. Smart, too, too smart. Too it's much like, of a genius. It's like jury duty or mm-hmm. being a police officer. Mm, and you could yeah. be like too smart to be to go on jury duty. Yes. You know, yeah. I have never. I've I've been called for jury duty twice, and they've never put me on a jury. So maybe. Well, that's not one. Uh, yeah, it's something else. <laughs> it's a possibility. I think we can. I think we can agree it's a possibility. It's probably yeah. something else. They usually want you to speak fluent English and uh, which, be able to read and all that. I do. The capacity do. for uh, reason, <laughs> which yeah. I also have. I they believe. They say a jury. You peers mm-hmm. and uh you know so you got to be at least at the level of uh you know basically of a, within the of average a, of a 16 year old kid who who got caught with an unregistered handgun so i have to at least be at that level yeah yeah i think i am i think i am at least that smart 
Well, it's really nice that you did that. <laughs> Uh, it's only further evidence that you are not. I see. Yeah. Let's go back to uh, Immanuel Kant. So yeah. one of the big uh, philosophical ideas that you tried to tackle uh, was what was referred to as the philosophy of the mind, where we know how our brain receives images from the world with light bouncing off objects and into our eyes, through the optic nerves into our brain. But you believe that something must be giving order to those images, order to that data that's going into our eyeballs. Something has to be interpreting that information for us to make sense of it, right? The mind. Yes. And so in your study, what did you devise as the thing that gave our minds that order? It's very depressing, Ooh. if I'm going to be honest. Ooh, okay. Because it is, it is arbitrary. It is the order which is the mind. Okay. This, when your mind knows that you're going to masturbate every day at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. there's no masturbating every day at 7 o'clock outside the mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have an idea of your penis. Mm-hmm. You have an idea of what it means to come. Yeah, I got a big idea. <laughs> you can't... It, you, is it cum that is big or the penis that is big? Or the idea. He hasn't. He, he understands oh. it very well, I think is what he was saying. Oh, my yeah. God. Now, this is fascinating. <laughs> I just meant I had a big hog, but uh, you boys you boys got me really thinking about it. Okay. All right. Can a big cum come out of a little penis? <laughs> I believe it can. It would just take more time. Mm. Mm. Whereas a big penis so... can shoot out massive amount of calm. I just, I, I want to get to something. pressure inside the vast difference. <laughs> Immanuel Kant. Uh, is, that, is that the end of the analogy? Is that you, you no. have these ideas of your penis Not and, and you close. think about yourself coming? And... Well, none of this exists practically until you view it in physics. This was proven mm-hmm. later as well. Until you do it, literally. Until okay. you have some sort of connection you build. So a chair is not a chair outside the mind. Mm-hmm. It is existential. It is like uh, atoms. Mm-hmm. There's no dimension to it. There's mm-hmm. no temporal nature to it. Okay. I would like to thank you for moving the analogy from you jerking off as a child at, on a regular schedule to something else, like a chair. Well, and I, the and chair, I would encourage you. The chair, no matter what, exists in your mind. Mm-hmm. There's the idea of the chair. And yes. then you put the black light on the chair. <laughs> okay, it's just covered in... And it's covered in mm-hmm. semen Covered stains. in semen. But I your would... idea of the chair doesn't have semen on it. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's... Although it depends that... on your experience with mm-hmm. chairs and semen. Let's... Uh, I have a lot of experience with chairs and semen, I'll I tell would, you that much. I would encourage you, uh, Kant, to, to... if When you have like another thing you got to explain like this... You feel free to not make this about you jerking off as a, as a child. I'm sure that there are other ways to explain this. Okay. Uh, okay. It is not me jerking off as a child. It is Japanese. Don't say it's a Japanese woman. No <laughs> skin. I'm just trying to give you a metaphor that you're familiar with. Uh, just, have you seen Crazy Rich Asians? Yet? I have not seen Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, it's yet. wonderful. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's wonderful. And I hope that they have their skin on. Uh, throughout the entire movie, fingers crossed. Um, I'm but just, you can imagine. I'm just saying. Yes, I could have. Think I about a, a crazy rich Asians like a noble gas. You know, it doesn't want to. It doesn't want to mingle with anything else. It doesn't want to react. It just wants to stay with its own. Mm-hmm. That's. <laughs> it's fun to think about this stuff. You know. <laughs> I'm just saying that. And it's a fun movie. I'm just saying if either of you have anything complicated that you have to describe, it doesn't, you don't have to use the language of coming penises or anything. I would encourage you to think outside the box. And maybe and you would understand. Of course I would understand. You know, I graduated from college. We like will I, try. We'll I, try. I, have a, I, I have from the ability American to, university. to mm-hmm. understand complex ideas. How many Jews were at that college? Uh, I, I, you know, I wish I knew. I wish <laughs> there was at least mm-hmm. one. There was at least one. You might have been the nominal Jew is all I want to say. Nom, 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 nom. Uh, Let's go back to Dr. Feynman for a moment. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask you about um, a few of your specific contributions to the world of physics. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, for example, you developed a form of mathematical notation called the Feynman diagram. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the Feynman diagrams. What were they exactly? Feynman diagram is nothing more than uh, representation of uh, of a. Uh, physical idea uh, that could be represented in a way that is easy for people to understand, even if they don't have a PhD level. Okay. It would just look like gibberish to you. Uh, but 
uh, but it was very revolutionary in the way that uh, it presented a lot of uh, ideas about forces and mm-hmm. uh, uh, nuclei uh, to the common man. So this, so this was a way to translate the maths that were being done at the upper level to somebody who was like maybe at a college level or even yeah. a high school level. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what, what was different about the notation that made it so much easier uh, for someone with a lower grade of education to understand? It had a lot of whimsy. Uh, <laughs> the previous notation, they were so dry. You know, they uh, they were just made up. You know, it's a bunch of these uh, these Princeton guys. You know, they're all uh, they're sitting there in a in a, a big old uh, armchair. They're drinking brandy, smoking a pipe. They don't know how to. They don't know how to jazz it up. They don't got that Queens in them. Not the Jew. <laughs> not the Jew among them. Not a Jew. Among not a them? Jew. No Jews. Not they didn't Jew know. They them. didn't have the. They didn't have the chutzpah. You know, the, forgive my Yiddish right there, uh, but uh, they didn't have the chutzpah to uh, to really make a to really make a diagram that could speak to people in the way that uh, a Marx Brothers comedy could, or one of my lectures, which are widely considered even uh, more funny. I see. Uh, now I know that this is not a physical medium radio, but did you do you think that it would be possible for you to describe even one of these diagrams, like just, yeah, just the way absolutely. that it looks? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Feynman. Mm-hmm. Are, are you on Twitter? Ah, uh, yeah. Could I follow? Yeah, you absolutely. Want to follow Dr. Feynman you know, on Twitter. If you could just put it in. Yeah. And in- Instagram. I mean, as this well. is, we could definitely do this after the I show. I bet it's so funny. I bet it's real good. It's <laughs> real good. It's real good. My Instagram stories are really good. Are that's you where doing stories? That's stories? where it's all at these days. Thank you. Yes, yes. I put and, the and also, and also, Jared, mm-hmm. Jared, you should also follow <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Feynman. I see what you did yeah. there. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, please, if you could describe for us one of these diagrams. Okay. Well, uh, the diagram really is nothing more than uh, ink on a paper, and you see the ink adheres to the paper. Okay. Maybe uh, you could... as a as a form of. Uh, <laughs> I'm not talking about how it's a, it's a mechanical how you bond. Write more you write it skip this. Bond. He'll never understand it. <laughs> I'm trying to make it as simple as I possibly can. I mean, like, what do the actual physical shapes look like? Like, it used to look like this, but but my version looked like this, and that's the re- reason why it was better. Oh uh, well, uh, I guess it's a series of lines. And uh, <laughs> are you familiar with the alphabet? Uh, I'm trying to make yes, this as easy as I possibly can. There'll be some letters with the alphabet. and numbers, numbers of Arabic origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing to think about <laughs> the history, the history of uh, of notation. You know, All the right. the letters they come let's from the Roman or Greek sources, and then the. Let's move do, on. Do you, you feel like you understand what I'm talking you about? You know what? 100%. I am on board. I feel like I could teach this class in college now. Uh, you also developed a model for something called weak decay. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you mind explaining, in the simplest possible terms, uh, what your model for weak decay was? All right. Well, uh, everybody at the time, they knew about strong decay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Strong decay is when uh, an atom, you know, like the particles are basically, uh, they're coming together. And they're thinking to themselves, like, what if... What if we weren't together no more? What if, uh, what if, we, and we feel real strongly about this, you know? We feel real strong, and uh, so they just they split apart like bang. And then uh, before you know it, the housewife she got no skin left at all, no skin. <laughs> oh, she's Japanese. She's Japanese, yeah. Oh yeah, she's Japanese. All right, God. so offensive. And then, uh, and then, but you think about uh, weak decay is more like the the particles are like, yeah, you know, we've been together a while, but. Uh, Maybe now we want to see others of people, you know? Maybe we want to fool around a little oh, bit. So maybe, maybe this is like the, the atomic version of like a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, or which is great. It's, it's ex- a great thing, just like a polyamorous relationship because everybody gets off and uh, there's no judgment involved. Uh, so, you know, basically it's more like the skin's just slowly peeling away. <laughs> okay, I understand. Uh, for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guests today are 20th century American physicist Dr. Richard Feynman mm-hmm. and 18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant. Still here. Uh, so, uh, Immanuel Kant, uh, uh, at 46, uh, you decide to devote yourself to figuring out this one philosophical quandary. Why do we believe in the reality of ideas like goodness when they were not evident in experience? And so for 11 years, you live in solitude, uh, writing and working and trying, just trying to figure out this one problem. Uh, for 11 years, you completely isolate yourself from the world. Um, I want to know what that was like. Uh, were, did you have like a specific um, uh, routine for working and writing? Was the isolation really necessary? Did people try to, to, to coax you to, uh, to, to rejoin them out in the world? But you were just for 11 years just decided to work on this one problem. 
I needed to reduce the variables when mm. it came to the amount of minds. Okay. From many minds to my one mind. And if goodness is real, I should be able to prove the existence of it few merely through rational thought. Mm. Okay. So I would do little nice things for myself and I would see how I feel. Oh, so you're conducting almost like a physical, uh, a philosophical experiments on yourself in your house by yourself. Very good. Thank you. Finally, a little credit. How now, often will you masturbate during this time? <laughs> well, I said I would do nice things for myself. Yeah, That's nothing probably, nicer than that. Probably 24-7. Well, at 7 o'clock every night, for starters, I would masturbate. That's good. Right before bed is, is one of the best. The rest mm-hmm. I would make sure is earned. Mm. Oh, you, you had to you had to mm. you deserve to do it. It would be a reward. Gotcha. So I would say if there is good in the world. In my world, in my mind, mm-hmm. I will reward it with the coming. <laughs> okay. And you know, you think about it, if everybody in the world acted that way, we'll be a pretty good place. If it's just everybody masturbated more? It was good. And they masturbate to reward themselves for doing good things like uh, inventing an atom bomb. <laughs> it was the fastest 11 years of my life. The f- oh, just because you were, you were having fun, you're taking care of yourself. A lot of masturbation. Gotcha. Mm. Were there any other things on the schedule besides just jerking your off Jerking yourself off to reward yourself for X, Y, or Z. I ate. You ate, of mm-hmm. course, obviously. I slept. Mm-hmm. And then I thought. Ah, I see. While wonderful. I masturbated. Mm. Now, the work that you ended up completing based on this uh, problem was over 800 pages long. Yes. Uh, and so would you say that, you know, looking back, that there's no way that this idea could be explained? Have you ever seen 800 pages before? Yes, I've seen 800 pages. I've read In a books. Book. I've read. <laughs> what did you think I was talking about? Just like reams of blank paper, Doctor Feynman? Yeah, you know. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know what you're reading in your spare time. Uh, As a matter of like... fact, I just finished an 800-page book about violence in humanity. So there, the two of you. Oh, Game of Thrones? Huh? No, not Game of. Th- Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, nobody loves Game of Thrones more than me. Yeah, it's a wonderful series. I'm not just, I'm not trying to say that. You think when an axe goes through a human neck, it's just the the molecules. pages, Immanuel Kant. You're saying that uh, looking back, there's no way that you could have, if every single one of those words was necessary, there's no way that you could express those ideas without those 800 pages. It's actually only 800 pages because I wrote an additional 500 pages, Mm -hmm. 1300 pages, but 500 pages were stuck together. (laughs) We think about the the mm. cohesion effect of uh, of uh, uh, semen on a, on a piece of paper. We don't need to get into it. It's amazing to think about because uh, mm. because it's uh, I don't know if it's it an is elastic am- property. Amazing to think about it. I think it's well, you gotta have standard. an imagination, Jared. It's uh, you imagine that the particles of the semen. Would you leave? It's a variety of lipids and carbohydrates. Emmanuel that have Kant. A, Emmanuel uh, Kant. Did you leave anything on the field? Any philosophical questions that you still wish that you that you could tackle? Maybe. Maybe lock yourself in your house again for another 11 years? No, I figured it out. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's a limit to what we can figure out. Ooh, interesting. Are you saying like every human mind can only devise so many things? Every human mind can only see things from the human mind. Okay. So outside of that, we might as well just be coming in the wind. Now, what kind of trajectory do you get when the cum is taken Not by a real nice gust, but gust of that German wind? You could do, you could do the math. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would the love to do the math. The direction of the wind. Uh, maybe we sh- let, let, let's move on. Dr. The Feynman. strength of the cummer. <laughs> If they are a large man, a small man, what, what, uh, or a Japanese man with no skin. What oh. variable would you use for the speed, uh, the power of a comer? Like, what, what kind of symbol would you use to, to represent that in the equation, Dr. Feynman? I'd probably use a lambda. <laughs> lambda. I always found a lambda to be very elegant. Yeah, lambdas are pretty good. Um, so lambda's a Greek letter. Yeah, I'm aware. Lambda, lambda, lambda was the fraternity in Revenge of the Nerds. And so... I have at least that level of knowledge. 
Uh, we're very proud of you, sir. Thank you. That's all I wanted. Uh, so, Dr. Feynman, you were also part of the commission that investigated the Challenger disaster, the spaceship yeah. uh, that blew up upon launch uh, in the 80s. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went about that? Like, what was the work like with the other scientists to try to discover the cause of this uh, of this horrible explosion? Well, a lot of it just had to do with figuring out the effects of super low temperatures on the insulation that was used on the space shuttle mm-hmm. and whether that could affect the performance. And let me tell you, it was a joy. <laughs> Every day, just thinking about that, thinking about that, that rocket blowing up in the air. You just you never get experiential data like that mm-hmm. in a whole lifetime in the sciences. So I, I, I'm just forever grateful to NASA for blowing up that spaceship you know, and, I- uh, and giving me a chance. It's just amazing. You think about, <laughs> think about these... Uh, Think about these particles. You know, you got a you got a ceramic you know, tile on there. I don't there. think that anybody should be surprised that you took joy in imagining such a horrible, horrible event. Um, but I have to imagine that you maybe were a little bit upset that this was an explosion, uh, uh, one of the rare explosions that you didn't cause. You know, like you were responsible for the deaths of so many burglars with your home mm-hmm. uh, explosions. Yeah, uh, millions of uh, of Japanese citizens. Yeah, you got a with, huge body toll. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, how, did, were you at all upset that this was one explosion and and thirteen deaths that you couldn't take credit for? Well, I got to understand something that you you might not follow because uh, you know, as we've established, no, I'm, just, uh, I'm uh, basically stupid, complete imbecile. Uh, but uh, I don't take any pleasure in the death, uh, except for the burglars who were trying to take my stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not about the death; it's just about it's just fun to think about this stuff. You know, <laughs> it's fun to the world is uh, the world is just uh, it's like a book that opens to you, and it's the more you learn, the more you want to know, and you just keep thinking about it. And uh, now, you know, uh, if people gotta die. It's uh, it doesn't matter because we're enriching humanity and what we know and uh, we're all just going to turn into dust anyway so who cares now uh, Dr. Feynman I did hear that you were one of the only scientists that was okay with suggesting that maybe NASA was to blame for oh, the yeah. explosion. The other scientists, it, it was said on Wikipedia, they kind of danced around it as a possibility, mm-hmm. maybe suggested that it was, you know, that, that nothing NASA could have done would have prevented this. Oh, yeah, they hated my guts, but basically they just, uh, they sent that school teacher into hell. They just, they fired... <laughs> They fired it up there into the air. Uh, you know, they didn't know what was going on. They're like, hey, this is going to look good in the news, right? And they just thought, you know, maybe the uh, the chance that it's going to explode is actually pretty good. And then they said, you know what? We don't really care. We're NASA. We got all the money that we need. Uh, we killed so many monkeys. Uh, who, even get, <laughs> who even gives a shit? And uh, basically, you know, they just turned them into meat. You know, and like you know, when you think, that, think about, I don't necessarily think that NASA sent that school teacher to hell. Maybe she just went to heaven. Maybe she just had a nice, I don't a mean, nice afterlife after that. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't believe in any of that stuff. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just mean hell in terms of uh, that the spacecraft actually turned into uh, <laughs> inferno in the air at high altitude, where they were basically plummeting to their death and incinerating at the same time. Uh, yeah, it's a hellish way to, to go. Think about. It, it really uh, is a hellish way to go. Uh, I understand. It seemed like you di- you never had a problem uh, sort of like addressing authority like this. Like during oh, the Manhattan yeah. Project, you were the only person uh, who could confront Niels Bohr. Everybody else was oh, yeah. too scared to disagree with him. Is that right? Yeah. Well, that boy, let me tell you, not just the name. He was a real boy in that's the sense of uh, a wild boy. Very. Oh, okay. Uh, not Well, he was also very boring. That's what uh, I thought you were going Because he wasn't for. quite at my level. You know, it's... Uh, Jerry, you oh, have to Niels, understand. Niels words wasn't at your words level. can be. Words Niels Bohr didn't wasn't at your level, is what you're saying. Very few of the, the men uh, mm-hmm. in the world were at my level. I also understand you're about to uh, explain similes to me, in which case I, I completely understand. So I was going to explain homophones, which is a very <laughs> different uh, kind of. But you know, I'm not an English guy. You know uh, what? I mean, That's on me. That's on me. That really was a dumb mistake that I just well, made. Well, a lot <laughs> of it, a lot of it's been on you, but uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is, uh, Niels Bohr terrified people, and mm-hmm. I would just tell him to shut up because uh, sometimes. He didn't even understand my Feynman diagrams. Mm, he thought it. we should do everything with these uh, with these old symbols, you know. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, you know, Niels, uh, uh, shut up. <laughs> See, uh, let's go back to Emmanuel Confort just a moment. So, um, and this is probably something that's going to interest you, Doctor Feynman, very much. Well, everything interests uh, me. But you, uh, Emmanuel Kant, you also made contributions to other fields of study besides philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually won a prize in Germany for an important uh, astronomical discovery about the nature of the Earth's rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm sure this is really complicated, but is there? Would you mind, uh, in a very simple way, describing what you specifically discovered about the uh, Earth's rotation? Uh, essentially. The Earth's rotation is based on our mind's perception of the Earth's rotation. Okay. So if you got a little boogie woogie, then the Earth's rotation gets a little boogie woogie. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So your 
your astronomical observation, the thing that you won the prize for was basically you just saying that uh, that that our perception of the way the Earth uh, spins has to do with each of our individual perceptions. If you got a little boogie woogie. <laughs> if you got a little boogie woogie. And if you don't, then the Earth's rotation won't have any boogie woogie. I guess I just assumed that this would have something to do with, like, uh, I don't know, actual figures or yes. uh, charts or graphs. There's a lot yeah. of figures. He's just trying to spare you. Uh, he's just trying to dumb it down for me so that I can understand a bit, it. A little bit. There's a chart that mm-hmm. states the relation of your personal boogie woogie to mm-hmm. the Earth's rotational boogie woogie okay and so and so you presented this theory you presented this this equation uh to uh the scientific community and they were like oh my god this is right on point this is exactly how the earth rotation they works ate it the fuck up. <laughs> i'm sure you were very popular uh you know I, I we're running out of time here on famous dead people um i'd like to ask uh dr Feynman about so when you were um you know getting on in years mm-hmm. uh you started having some abdominal pain this is yeah. sort of like what led to your uh unfortunate early demise yeah uh You're and sad. when uh when when they examined you mm-hmm. uh they discovered a tumor from a rare form of cancer they removed this tumor from your abdomen and it was the size of a football yeah that is that just blows american my football mind. <laughs> Not a not a soccer ball, you gotta understand. Yeah, that's uh I don't think anybody was assuming that it was gonna be a soccer ball. Um, well, Europeans might. You see I in other in other in other countries balls. Yeah, like in uh, Germany, the country that uh, Mr. Kant's from, uh, they have a sport they call football, which is uh, entirely different, where uh, the ball, uh, instead of being a, a sort of uh, ovoid shape, mm-hmm. is uh, very much shaped like a bucky ball. Do you remember homophone? I do remember <laughs> Homophones. It was like three minutes ago. So yeah, I remember homophones. Anyway, the point well, is three I, minutes depending on your perception on of my time. Yeah, Jesus. You know what? Talking eternity. to you, Emmanuel Kant, it, it's almost like talking to a freshman in in college who just took weed for the very first time. What? Like, like it's just the, the idea that you're stuck in in oh, we can only understand the world through our perception. It's like yeah, obviously, but we create a language by which we can communicate with each other so that our perceptions kind of link up with each other. It's 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 like the first philosophical idea that anybody ever comes up with and then you just move on and you just decide to live the rest of your life after that. It only seems that way to you because the language you use is so different from everyone else's perception who is more Mm -hmm. competent. Gotcha. Yeah, also this man basically invented what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and that's the reason that freshmen talk about it so Mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, don't be such an arrogant little brick. I'm just saying that maybe it wasn't that big of, maybe didn't need fucking 800 pages if all it takes is like to take like three classes in college and maybe smoke like one hit of weed and finally you're just like oh my god oh our perception changes the way that we view the world oh, oh I'm like Emmanuel Kant over here Jesus Christ you are describing maybe one third of a page out of 800 oh. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah. See, okay. Maybe I'm not being fair, Emmanuel Kant, but I'm just, you know, I'm feeling very defensive based on the, the, the attitude I've got enough of both of you guys. We're just trying to help you learn. Accept your place. Accept your place. Accept my place? As a Jew, I'm offended by a German telling me to accept my place. All right. Well, I'm going to be, uh, I'm a Jew here, and I'm going to tell you also, you should be in your place <laughs> because uh, you got two of the greatest minds in human history here. Mm-hmm. They're trying to explain things so that you can understand. Yeah, and uh, all you're doing is uh, is a uh, is a. Uh basically throwing a little tantrum you know, and I am stop, stop playing the race card it is unbecoming <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I never play the race card right of course um, don't so be yeah. such a chew about it <laughs> oh my god oh boy unfortunately that's all the time that we have for uh, for this week's you episode you want to hear of, more about my tumor of famous stuff people I'd love to hear more about your tumor but I'm afraid it would just turn into badgering a me about how uh, dumb I am tumor's really constructed I, I, of, uh, <laughs> of fatty molecules mm-hmm. it was really fascinating I was sad to lose I'm it. sure it imagine is. a Japanese sure you person sad. with a tumor you were sad to lose the, the football sized tumor that came out of your body just so much that you can learn from this thing you know <laughs> and also I thought that was my dick <laughs> So I thought it was so big. But I it mean, was a the, little smaller than the dick, and so you were like, that's weird. My dick yeah, shrunk a yeah, little bit. Yeah, my dick got a little smaller, and now it's in my abdomen. Uh, it was really the dumbest thought I, I ever had. To, I can't wait to uh, do the science behind how this actually happened. Oh, wait, it's a tumor, and yeah. I'm going to die soon. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the, the time we have for this week's episode of Famous Dead People. I'd like to thank my guests, uh, Emmanuel Kant and Richard Feynman, for joining us, but I can't because they were kind of dicks the whole time. Uh, one final question for the both of you. Do either of you have any like comedy shows or uh, a funny Twitter accounts that you're big fans of? of uh, Emmanuel Kant? Uh, I like uh, at the Boris K. Mm, at the mm. Boris K. Oh, Pretty yeah. good. And uh, mm-hmm. any shows you want to tell people about as well? Uh, on 
August 29th mm-hmm. at 7 p.m. at the Red Room at KGB Bar mm-hmm. is the breakdown with Boris Hyken. Oh, uh, that's great. It's it's very good. We'll have guests. There's a woman who works for Cynthia Nixon's campaign Ooh. and the man who created Con Body. It's the workout based on uh, a prison workout. Ooh, interesting. Amazing. We'll oh, have a stand-up guest, a house band. Wow. It's a good time. And uh, and Richard Feynman, anything you want to tell people about? Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, I'd like to plug my favorite uh, Twitter account. And when you think about it, Twitter is nothing more than electrons moving. Uh, Moving through the air. Just the account. Just uh, the, the account, Dr. Feynman. Get it. All right. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm just trying to explain something that'll bring you great joy. But anyway, I'm a great <laughs> fan of the tweets of uh, comedian Matt Nadostop, uh, who can be found on Twitter at uh, at, uh, at Nadostop, which is uh, spelled, if I if I can get this right, it's uh, N-E-D. It's like the name Ned. You, you know how to spell, Jared. Yes, I know. N-E-D-O-S-T. U and then P, like in the name Peter, and I, I don't mean to exaggerate or anything, but I can say that his tweets are a greater contribution to humanity than all of my work uh, in the physics and education that I did over many years. I think that's very fair. If you want to check out any of my stuff, uh, go to Jared yeah. Bernstein. <laughs> Go to JaredBernstein.com. I got a lot of new stand updates up there. I'm going on a cross-country tour, so you want to check that out. Perhaps my, you will find a tutor online. Buy my uh, book, The Kelly and Conway Technique. Rate and review the podcast. Hit us up at Famous Dead People at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.